Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, and I'm joined here once again by your friend and mine, Deanne Condrat. Woo! I'm back, guys! <laughs> There's like three people excited for that. Everyone else is like, oh, man. He brought her back. This again? Yeah. All right, I'm waiting a week. And we're doing a chick flick. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Anything cool you've been watching on Netflix, DN? Um, I was off sick last week. So you know when you're like in so that- Does that mean a lot of Netflix lot or of Netflix. no Netflix? Yeah, okay. a lot. When you're in that sick coma, you just want to like put on Netflix and you wait until it like pathetically tells you 12 times, like, are you still watching? It's like- Yes, haven't you seen? I haven't left the couch in 12 hours. But I've been watching Bates Motel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I had not watched it before, and it is horrifying. It is just funny to go back and see, like, this is the way that Norman, what, like, he was brought up that way. He was made to be a psychopath just because of all the things that happened in his life. And the costuming is great. The lighting's great. Like, the storytelling's awesome. I can't watch it alone by myself past, like, 10 p.m. <laughs> at night. But, like noon on a sick day i was like right into it nice uh anything else interesting or is that pretty much been that was your sick binge well then i also i got show me but i don't think we can talk about that no that's fine and then they have season five of bob's burgers which the best show in the world if you haven't watched it at all i think they have it on netflix but they aren't as far as show me is so that's why i had to sort of jump the gun there jump the gun jump ship you know that's cloak Colloquialism. <laughs> you nailed colloquialism. But you couldn't get <laughs> but jump ship. Bob's Burgers is one of the funniest shows that I have ever watched. And the little kid, Eugene, Gene, I'm pretty sure he's going to be my kid. Like when I have kids one day, because he's just this farting musical little machine. And I love him. So if That's you haven't wonderful. watched Bob's Burgers, you should watch it as well. Well, the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 1998. It's from director Andy Tennant. We're going to be talking about Ever After. Oh, this was a good one. I'm so excited that we decided to do this movie. Before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios. That's London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So the ways that Netflix describes Ever After are as follows. First, when you hover over the title, it says, There's a simple explanation for everything in this twist on the grim fairy tale, but there's still a charming prince. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you click on the title, <laughs> the description changes to, When mistreated orphan Danielle stumbles into Prince Henry, who's fleeing an arranged marriage, the two inspire each other to resolve their troubles. I, I, I would not watch either of those movies. No. <laughs> The second one, I think, is almost worse to resolve their troubles. It sounds like they have to do like a math problem or something. Yeah, it sounds like an ABC Kids or yeah. like a Disney yeah. Channel problem. And not that it's like hard. It's not like their problems are like cocaine or anything, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's not as light and airy as they're making it. That's Snow White. Yeah. Was it? Oh, got it. <laughs> I'm like, is that what the apple means? Oh, it's been a long day, guys. <laughs> Yay, allegory. <laughs> The genres this belongs to, according to Netflix, are children and family movies, movies for ages 11 to 12, family features, and family dramas. I love how it's just for ages 11 and 12. That's not a large gap no. at all. <laughs> it's like you get one, two years <laughs> to watch this movie. Yeah. 
then that's it. If you're a 10 and a half, it's just no. going to go right no. over your head. 13, way too old. The mood that Netflix assigns to Ever After is romantic. All right, so I'm going to open up the floor. I'm going to ask the same question we always do. That's why did you want to talk about Ever After? I know that I actually ended up introducing the idea to you because I had a neighbor randomly drop a blank CD into my mailbox yes! that just said Ever After on it, and it turns out they were like, hey, listen to this CD. And I thought you just had this weird bootleg copy of Ever After, and I was like, Dylan, I think you can get this on Netflix. <laughs> but when we discussed the idea, when we saw that yeah. this was on Netflix... You were just like, I was drop everything. It. Yeah. This needs to happen. So tell me about your experience with Ever After, because as is always the case when we talk, I had never seen this movie yes. before. Yeah. So I think 1998, I was 12 at the time. So I was right in that prime demographic that Netflix says this movie is for. You were 11 to 12. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I went to the theaters and I just remember loving it. It was like a lot of 90s movies at the time where you have a very headstrong and stubborn female lead uh which was like julia child and julia styles not julia child <laughs> julia the french, cook. <laughs> the french cook in this 90s movie uh julia style in 10 things i hate about you and like rachel cook and she's all that but then they took it back to these fairy tale origins and so she's like this raging stubborn feminist who wants to put this hot man in his place and I don't know, I was all about it, especially at the age of 12. And I don't think I've watched it since I was probably about 18. So it's been over 10 years because I'm about to turn 30. So I was really excited to revisit it. And how did, how did it feel coming back? I think it lived up. I was a little worried because it's one of those movies since I haven't watched in so long. I was wondering if watching again would ruin it, but it didn't. No, oh, it's not like uh, Adventures in Babysitting. You said that's an annual watch for you. Yeah, no. It's, again, one that I had very fond memories of, but didn't revisit. I think it's because it's over two hours. And usually my attention span is like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bit long. It was long. Now, granted, the last movie that we did on the podcast was the extended cut of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. So that was a oh four-hour movie. <laughs> But when I hit play on this, which I'll admit, I, I was procrastinating a bit, and it was earlier today, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, this yeah. thing is two hours long. Because <laughs> when I hit play on it, I expect it to be like an hour and 20 minutes because you think Cinderella, fluffy. So there is a little more meat in it. I don't think it had to be two hours, though. They probably could have cut a little bit out, but... All right, so I appreciated a lot about this movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, uh, starting with the the fact that Right from the beginning, they seemed like they were going to tell a a grounded, realistic version mm -hmm. of the story. And they have this whole bookend thing where the the brothers Grimm get invited yeah. to, to visit this. <laughs> Which is a part I did woman. not remember at all. I don't know why I just blocked it out. Probably because it's like for five minutes in the beginning and like two seconds at the end with the brothers totally Grimm not crucial. <laughs> coming in to get the story. And I'm like, huh, I see what they're doing here. Yeah, so it was nice to have that grounded and for them to kind of take that pot shot at the Disney version. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, the Disney version was made in the 50s, question mark? Maybe yeah, the 50s 40s? or 60s, like a thousand years ago. Oh, do you have a computer in front of you, Dylan? 1950 on the dot. Holy crap. They could animate things back then? Yeah, they could do that. <laughs> That's so long ago. How did they record animation All on, I, on I, those cave walls? <laughs> when I think of 19... 1950s animation 
And Disney, I think of that Steamboat Willie, <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Steamboat Willie was in the 20s. No. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> we've all learned something. Steamboat today. Willie was 1928. Jesus, yeah. really? Yeah, Snow White was from the 30s. Well, Disney is old. Well, well and dead. dead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Buried in the walls of Disney World or something like that. Snow White, 1937. So yeah, 1950s. Um, that's the idea of Cinderella that everybody has mm-hmm. in their head. Or even from storybooks. You know, they make reference, the, the Grimm brothers do in this movie. They say, oh, well, yeah, our, our version is nothing like that Perot version and roll their eyes at the pumpkins and everything. So, yeah. so we get told right away, like, this isn't about magic. This is about people. But even still, it's this very... I was going to say it's it's like this very soft world, but it's sometimes really soft and it's sometimes really dark Mm -hmm. at the same time. Because within about 20 minutes, you have these two scenes where Danielle, so Cinderella, is tromping through the woods with the prince, Henry, and they get attacked by gypsies and they're being mugged. Yeah. And then just by the nature of them being really charming or by her being really charming... Mm -hmm. They just become friends with the people who are robbing them, and mm-hmm. then they go party with them. Yeah, and then they just get liquored up with them. Right, but then 20 minutes later, Cinderella gets, or Danielle gets beaten with a lash, mm-hmm. and she's, like, she looks, it looks like the Passion of the Christ. Like, her yeah. back is torn up from being horribly beaten, but the movie doesn't seem like it has consequences, except for those moments of, like, real iffy darkness. Yeah, there's definitely this fantasy element to it, but not magic fantasy, but just like real life. Like, could this really happen? Friends with gypsies fantasy. But then it just brings you back down really fast to <laughs> reality. It keeps you pretty grounded. Like towards the end when she gets sold into sexual slavery to that yes, weird looking pirate yes. guy. The one thing that did bother me about this movie now that I'm older and when I watch movies now, I think I watch them with a little more cynicism or criticism is her accent just sort of faded in and out. It's like... um Kirsten Dunst in Elizabethtown where like she had an accent sometimes and sometimes she didn't and I'm like you just got to keep it constant Drew Barrymore well it wasn't just her though and it was it was everybody like the the woman at the beginning of the movie who's telling the story about you will never believe the true story of Cinderella or whatever it was (laughs) like she's French and this whole movie takes place in France. That's, yes. The Brothers Grimm come in and they're kind of got German-ish <laughs> accents. But then everybody else in the rest of the movie is English. With some sort of, if not British, then at least like that Catherine Hepburn affected yes. American English kind of accent. Which plays into that fantasy thing where I was talking about where, um, I actually talked about this a bit last week. Okay, sorry. Two Towers was two weeks ago. Barton Fink was last week where the movie isn't going for historical accuracy like it's saying we're grounding this in reality but we're grounding this in a reality where you have to accept like the basic laws of physics and human interaction but that's it but (laughs) when it comes to like historical accuracy just just put the fancy voice on them Mm -hmm. and that's that's all you need like when the guy's like my name is Prince Henry of France and you're like good god man (laughs) Well, I was having a moment. I'm like, did I miss something in history where, because I guess it happens, the British just owned everything at the time. I'm like, did the Brits just take over France? And was that their royalty? So I'm like, maybe that happened, but not historically accurate because the commoners would still have French accents. But again, you got to look past it. Well, and some of the servants were like Irish. and Yeah. And some were just American. 
<laughs> because why not? Just throw a couple Americans in there. Yeah. They're shipping them over to Americas, I guess, like shipping some of them back. For the most part, you were fine until they acknowledged that they were in France or until they were saying their own names and they were like, oh, yes, my name is Madame Giuseppe de Depardieu or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like, they were Whoa, such French names. Don't put the accent on for the name <laughs> and then take it off for everything else, especially because most of you are not British in the first place. So you're already struggling. Yeah, with what it was you're doing. too much. Is Angelica? No, Angelica Houston. She's not. Every time yeah, she's American. I go to say her name, I keep thinking of Angela Lansbury, and I'm like, nope. nope. Very <laughs> different actress. She is British, though, so you're safe there. But if you ever want to do a Murder, She Wrote episode, I'm your girl. <laughs> the other thing that threw me off quite a bit, and these are things that I'm totally willing to forgive, because I get, like, you mm-hmm. just, like you're not going to have everybody do a French accent, because that would be distracting to a north american audience oh yes yeah even if it was more authentic or whatever and you're certainly not going to do it with subtitles Mm -hmm. or anything like that but for the most part i'm very happy with all of the casting except for prince henry because Mm. how old do you think that actor was at the time first of all how old do you think prince henry as a character is supposed to be as a character he's probably supposed to be like 18 like everyone was super young like Mm -hmm. cinderella is probably supposed to be 12 or something heinous like that (laughs) And Prince Henry's supposed to be, like, coming into his own. He's he's all petulant. <laughs> I'm like, you he's, are a 38-year-old man. <laughs> he's 33. Doug Ray Scott, when he made this movie, was 33 years old. And it was just jarring to see this grown man act so whiny. See, in, like, 2016, I would believe that. Because, you know, like, the whole thing of, like, millennial man children that are, like, running rampant. I say that with love because I know quite a few of them. But (laughs) people who are still living at home and all that. Um, My brother, if you're listening, that wasn't a jab at you, but you should move out. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking, but I'm not. (laughs) But like back in what was this, the 1700s, like everyone was married and having kids at 13. It just didn't, it doesn't fly. Yeah. He, He either had like a very sheltered life or he was just... It's just way too old to be playing yeah. this part. <laughs> but you know what? He looked great. I think he had great prince hair. Mm-hmm. I also read something on IMDb that he had to wear a cod piece, and I researched what that was. Goes oh, he your... seemed like he was wearing a cod piece the, the whole time. Yeah. Apparently... Especially, you especially notice it during the tennis match. <laughs> yeah. It was his first time wearing one. <laughs> so there you have it. Well, I imagine there aren't too many reasons to be wearing a cod piece outside of that. <laughs> Maybe they'll make a comeback. You never know. Did you ever see the 2015 Cinderella? No, but when I was watching this, I was reading articles going back to Ever After to see if other people remembered it as fondly as I did. And a lot of people went back to watch it after they watched the latest Cinderella from Disney because they said it was horrible and left a bad taste in their mouth. And they wanted to go back to something that was refreshing and, Mm -hmm. I don't know, more true to the story. Did you see it? Is that where? Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Um, so, I, I mean, I've seen the 1950 animated mm-hmm. yeah. Cinderella. I, I don't know how well I remember it. I mean, like the song bounces around in my head. That yeah, those little mice. Every time I think about that movie. But I, it's pretty much gone from my head. But I did see the 2015 one. And it was, it was, it was okay. Was that the Mirror Mirror one? No, that one came out either just before or just after. That was the Lily Collins one. Oh, okay. Um, that was the one that was like, we're not doing Disney. We're just doing Cinderella. But then Disney's Cinderella with Rob Stark as Prince Charming and everything. All right. 
comparing this to that, the 2015 version seemed like a cash grab Mm -hmm. as opposed to this one seemed like it was actually trying to do something. Mm -hmm. Ever After seemed like it had a point and like it deserved to exist Mm -hmm. way more than the, the 2015 Cinderella did. Largely because of what they did with the character. And to the the recent Disney version, I feel like they did tr- they they tried to do something there where they were trying to update it a bit and really focus on the strength of her character and her like moral fortitude and her ability mm-hmm. to grin and bear it and just push through and let goodness persevere. But Danielle in Ever After just kicks ass. And she does, yeah. It's like she doesn't she takes shit because she has to because that's what life handed her is just this big pile of shit. But also, she doesn't put up with it. She's not scared to make that snarky remark or put someone in their place. Like, she knows she's been put down as a servant, but she's not willing to settle for that life. And uh, it's nice to see how she treats her fellow servants or just her friends and her family. Mm-hmm. So I like to imagine that once, um, I don't know if I should skip to the end, but like once she got to the palace, that like her friends like maurice would have been rewarded well because bless that old man yeah for sure i mean the fact that she takes the time to take some degree of pity on even her you know her stepmother the baroness and whatnot Mm -hmm. like she she's definitely kept those people in her heart and it seems like this movie wasn't even just concerned about danielle as a character but also just applying some i think fairly modern economic ideals to old-timey france like talking about offering free tuition to everybody Mm. and turning the class system on its ear and abolishing slavery like it seemed like it was trying to tackle some big ideas for for something that could be dismissed as just a cinderella story Mm -hmm. she definitely um for someone who probably only went to homeschool until like grade four she Everything she knows, she read herself, right? Yeah, she, yeah, she read is in books. Self-taught. She is very educated and well-spoken, so she doesn't come off as overly idealist. That she's just put, pulling these thoughts out of thin air. Like she's, you can tell she's actually thought these things through. And when she's telling Prince Henry these things, I think that's why it resonates with him so much. Because as a leader, he can see how these ideas would work. Like, of course, tuition for the masses would work, right? Mm-hmm. Pulling people out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was interesting to see that he had already confronted these ideas, but coming at them from a place of privilege, he just kind of dismissed them as, oh, look at these quaint ideas. But then to have somebody speaking to these ideas mm-hmm. from a place of genuine interest, they're like, no, I'm, I am of these people. This is actually something that could help us. And to have there be that passion that he's so excited about from her mm-hmm. speaking these bigger ideals to him that i mean granted i'm not an economist i have no idea how any of this would work i don't know if you know giving free tuition actually leads to a better economy or anything like that i don't pretend to i think it's working well in like sweden that seems like a place that has free tuition (laughs) how are you guys doing over there (laughs) we just absolutely idealize yeah scandinavia in general we just assume that's everything figured out I also like doing these podcasts and just like saying things like I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah, Sweden sounds like a great place that would have free education. (laughs) And I'm speaking in front of a microphone so everyone has to listen to me. I love it. To go back to the beginning 
a bit the like the the straight up introduction i don't remember there being too much time actually spent on cinderella as a little girl Mm -mm. in almost any version of the story you do get it quite a bit in the 2015 version but it was interesting that in this version more than any other version i've ever seen you get to see the baroness seem vulnerable Mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily always understand why that's what they were doing because i feel like that's such an easy this one's evil this one's good thing to do but But it, it made the character more interesting than i've ever considered her to be before and i don't know if it's just because angelica houston that's her name not lansbury played it really well but now that i'm older i could definitely watch and see like some vulnerability in that character it has to be hard for her. She probably was like in arranged marriage, just like Prince Henry was going to be to this princess of Spain or whatever. And she probably just married this guy, got to this place for like a week, and then her husband drops dead and she's just stranded in the middle of nowhere, right? Obviously, it's not fair what she did to Danielle, but she obviously has had a very shitty time of it as well. She's mm-hmm. just got herself stuck in this situation. There is no way out because being a woman in again what year was it like 1700s that's what happened well she's definitely a social climber that's what she's bred her daughters to be Mm -hmm. but they take the time to humanize her and to make her allow her to be sad and allow her to be vulnerable and allow her to be sometimes transparent i mean such an iconic character already like the the wicked stepmother it's Mm -hmm. you know it's one of those archetypes but it was interesting to sometimes see, to look at her and to try to decipher whether it was like, are you just putting on airs as the grieving wife or did, were you actually kind of behind this or or not really knowing what was up? And even she has that almost a moment of tenderness with Danielle where they're talking about how much, like when they're talking about the, the dead dad, they share this moment where they're the only, well, maybe not the only two because they're the sisters as well, but they're the two people who were most affected by the Mm -hmm. death of this man and there's this moment where they're almost close and where they're almost sharing a connection with each other is that when she and the baroness is just like i'm tired i'm bored now go away and she just won't allow herself to feel that connection with this girl was that the scene where they're talking i think it is where they're talking about him and she said something like did you ever truly love my father and then you just see that moment in her eyes where she looks a little sad but she doesn't let herself go there and she's like well i hardly even knew him so you have it's like maybe she did actually care about him but she doesn't want to let herself be completely vulnerable in this situation what i felt like was that she's never even asked herself that question because she's always just been interested in just what's going to get her to the next level and she's never bothered to even factor in whether or not she genuinely cares about these people Mm -hmm. it's just about what's going to benefit her so that was probably the first time, even though she's, you know, the guy's been dead for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Probably the first time she was like, hey, like, he probably was a really good dude. And my life could have been enriched by having him around. But like you said, rather than confronting those feelings, she just, no, like, let's mm-hmm. let's move on. Let's get back to business. And I also had this thought, and this is just me thinking about things and ide- idealizing characters, but maybe she just blames him for this whole mess again like i said that she's stranded in this barn in the middle of nowhere not really close to society and it's because she chose to marry this guy that then just dropped dead and she was stuck with his daughter and that could be why she treated cinderella like crap she right and it's it's not like he was royalty like the whole reason that he 
had the money that he had was because he was this successful merchant and mm-hmm. because he was going out and getting these these things to bring back to sell like that was where all the money was coming from mm-hmm. so then when he died all of that was cut off so then all they had to go for themselves was this what was probably originally like a hobby farm or just enough to feed them so then they were pushing the the grounds that they had mm-hmm. past the point of what they actually could and they were trying to maintain this lifestyle that she had promised to her daughters and everything it's not quite to the point of being sympathetic but you at least understand how somebody could come to become so cruel mm-hmm. instead oh, exactly. of just having somebody be evil for evil's sake it definitely gave her a human side instead of like the cartoon syndrome in the movies where she's just mad and angry and evil for no reason like you can sort of see it's like well maybe she is pushed to her limits and you know she just cracked she's not doing the right things but maybe it doesn't make her a bad person i don't yeah. know well and the fact that danielle at the end when she confronts her and says like you there was one thing that i wanted from you this whole time mm-hmm. and even me as an audience member i was like oh what did she want did she want did she want her freedom did she want the house did she want her father back like what did she want she's like no i wanted you to treat me like a daughter you came in and you were supposed to be my mother and instead you turned me into this object for your yeah. use instead of treating me like a member of your family and then that makes Danielle's pain so much more mm-hmm. vibrant. Or maybe I'm just a sociopath for not picking up on that in the first place. But And there's a line, I forget what she said, but um, like the bar- Baroness, is she a Baroness? Yeah. Yeah, Baroness, like just shut her down so fast. And she's like, oh. Oh, and she says, did you ever, did you ever even think of loving me? And she says, how, like, what, would you ever love a pebble in your shoe yes and i was like oh that's a little that's a little cold no you could be like maybe and then like on your way like no no just shuts it down (laughs) let me get back to you yeah (laughs) but also looking at the evil stepsisters i but you gotta be careful with that because it's not evil stepsisters quote yeah because you have one evil stepsister and then one sympathetic kind of yeah She's been pushed along by her mother and her sister for so long, but you can tell she actually has morals. Right. And that was an interesting twist on the character that I'd never, I'd never even considered before because it's always been like the two shitty sisters and the even more cruel mother. Mm -hmm. But instead there's this, this figure of at least struggle in that family dynamic who's just like, she sees what Danielle is going through. And the only reason that she doesn't speak up more is because she knows that if she does, she could be put into that position. Yeah, that could as be well. her tomorrow. Because she knows she's not the number one. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not the prize pony in the family. And it's nice to see her character progress from the beginning because she starts out catty, much like her sister. But then by mid movie, she has a complete change of heart and she's willing to stand up for herself. She falls in love with a chunky little guard from the <laughs> castle, which is so sweet when they're dressed as horses together. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Masquerades, obviously, were probably all the rage in, like, Shakespearean times, but also in the 90s for, like, proms and dances. Like, masquerades everywhere. And I'm glad they brought it back forever after. But, yes, it was great to see her grow up through mm-hmm. this movie. They pick on her for her weight, which is no. kind of mean. Like, she's supposed to be, like, the dumpy stepsister. Yeah. Or- but I'm like, she's probably a size three at most. Like, come on. And cover it up with all those layers you can't tell that she's a different size from her sister or not maybe she's just a little extra hungry it's well, nothing to be ashamed of that's the that's the cruel joke that that always gets dumped on her like oh you're only going to the party for the food anyway yeah. 
Like maybe I am. Gonna, you're not gonna pick up a prince. Like maybe it's good food. Maybe shut the fuck I'm up. I'm sure those parties have great food, better than what they're serving off that farm. So probably that prince has chocolate. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's like it's called something like chocolate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I felt like there were some times that this movie just really wanted to be cute. Mm-hmm. Like in in the scene like there, or where the <laughs> scene where they do like the old timey tennis thing, and you're like tennis. What what's that? And, and there's just girls fawning at them playing tennis, and I'm like, oh, this is. I want some jousting, like a knight's tale. Yeah. That's what I'd like. That's to some see. very dandy tennis. <laughs> <laughs> it was dandy. That's a good word for it. I don't know if it was just supposed to be like pandering to the audience when they were like, oh, what is this sinful treat in my mouth? He's like, it's called chocolate. Um, the other weird historical thing that I feel like was also trying to be cute and had no place in things. And I don't know, maybe there's this very well-constructed timeline that makes this all make sense. But in order to do the Cinderella story, you need to have somebody come along and be nice to her. That is unexpected you need this fairy godmother figure and they don't have that so they do a blended thing where you have jacqueline be the kind of kind member of her family representing the godmother part and then for the fairy part leonardo da vinci's in this movie i was excited to get to this part because i don't is this historically accurate oh i have no idea but I also like, I mean, since we were talking about accents, like they make a big deal about how Leonardo da Vinci is Italian. They're like, signore. And he's like, hello, pip, pip. <laughs> pip, pip, I'm Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> hello, governor. <laughs> Just gonna paint the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah, oh he's very English. He's super English. And also, I don't think it's historically accurate at all that Leonardo da Vinci would just be hanging out there. Wasn't he a bit tortured? Like Just be like the scientist in residence to the French throne? I have no <laughs> idea. I cannot be bothered to find no. out. Let's just make assumptions again and tell people it's reality because this is what this podcast is for. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was strange. And I was like, why are you doing this? And then it's so that you can have this whimsical kind of figure. But I guess it makes it safer and more familiar if you use this historical figure mm-hmm. instead of just being like this random inventor that we stumbled across (laughs) i understand the need for his character in the movie but i don't know if it had to be leonardo da vinci i just feel like if you dig down to his character like all those painters back then had so many issues maybe they used opium i feel that might have been a thing that could explain a lot of his inventions like those water shoes that he was walking on i just don't think it was necessary But also I do want to research because he was helping that little stable boy, Gustav. And I think if you look into it, this is maybe someone that grew up to be a famous painter or supposedly. They're trying to tie it all in together. Oh, okay. Like it was like a cute sort of reference. Or he's preying on young boys. Did Leonardo da Vinci like that? Maybe? I feel like (laughs) you're going to get me in trouble. Perhaps. Okay, we won't go any further. It's like the estate of Leonardo da Vinci. (laughs) They're like, hello, we listen to your podcast. And you're like, you are English. (laughs) All of you, all the da Vinci's. I'm sorry we said that. (laughs) But I I get it. I get it. Because it's, it's introducing this whimsical, wacky character that is already familiar to the audience without introducing, like, magic, right? Like, science is as close to magic as you can get without getting into the supernatural Mm -hmm. like they're not gonna have merlin show up they're not gonna have a fairy godmother because this is supposed to be like the grounded practical Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. and so they just have leonardo da vinci show up and open a door yeah and that's how 
Oh, and then make her, uh, uh, you know, make her a pretty nice looking dress for the end. With there. wings, so with wings, it's almost like magic. Because I think at the end of like Cinderella fairy tale, she has like wings and sparkles and lights around her, and <laughs> you know, in the the cartoon is what my mind is going to. There's a lot happening with this dress, which without fantasy and magic you can't do so they sort of tied that in right and they just pretended that bedazzling was a thing yeah yeah he's like i know how to paint i also am a seamstress apparently i invented the screwdriver he did a lot of things in like 10 minutes in that movie pretty impressive yeah but i'm glad he was around yeah i just i'm thinking again about the baroness and how how poorly they treat danielle and i kind of prefer it in the way they build up to it it's not just that they are cruel from the outset it's like they have almost a system sort of figured out where she is mistreated and she's got her reasons from breaking away from that, but it's her breaking away from that that makes them lash out even more. Because like at first they're kind of scared to use her dress, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, oh, like, oh no, we got caught using the dress that was supposed to be her but dowry. But then they like test, she tested the Baroness's limits. So they're like, all right, we're taking the dress. Like, right, that's it. exactly. Like there was, there's still these, these expectations of propriety, even with this mm-hmm. girl that they were horribly mistreating. And who had clearly been whipped before and who was emotionally and physically abused. But there was still some, like, barriers of decency Mm -hmm. that we get to cross that with them. And we get to learn to hate the Baroness. And I feel because Danielle probably never crossed lines like that before either. Like, she might have talked back a little bit and she might have, like, huffed and puffed. But I don't think she stayed out for two days and then talked back and didn't show up to serve breakfast like that was just a line that had never been crossed and probably the baroness felt like she had to be put in her place right yeah she i mean it's been 10 years she's probably been beaten a mm-hmm. lot to get mm-hmm. her in line as much as that mm-hmm. so then this was the you know meeting the prince was the impetus for danielle to kind of be herself and to to figure out what else she could do with her life mm-hmm. outside of that also that scene like with the gypsies that we we're talking about before where Danielle's in the tree and her like weird under things and she's like don't look her, like bloomers this yeah. is improper and I'm like you're wearing 12 layers right now like he cannot see any skin but it was a different time <laughs> and the gypsies come and for some reason have an issue with Prince Henry maybe because he's a prince and that's the reason why I think it was also because he fought them off before when they were stealing da Vinci's oh, stuff yeah that's probably it and he, they like, probably chased harbored some river and whatnot, yeah. resentment from that so they were like gonna kill them and then danielle wins them over with you know her strong willedness and also her sense of humor but then the gypsies are like you can take anything you can carry and she like put the prince over her shoulders and like staggered and carried him away i was reading somewhere like this is a historical thing that happened like probably around the same time but it was a group of women whose husbands went in to war and the people they were fighting they're like the women can go you can take whatever you can carry but like the men are staying here to fight but then the women all put their husbands and men over their shoulders and like carried them out and what the war is again i'm just talking about like i know what i'm talking about but i read it on the internet so i'm pretty sure it's true and i was like that's cool that they would take a story and work it into this movie that's neat because that's one of her coolest moments it is cool as silly as the whole premise for that is because that whole scene exists for mm-hmm. the sake of her doing that. Yes, yeah. And, and also, for... I'm like, she's strong. She's carrying this 33-year-old man just <laughs> over her shoulders. <laughs> I would go back for the dress. Like, if you're carrying, like, that 200 pounds, she could probably just throw a dress over you, but... Yeah, throw the dress on him. Yeah, she yeah. left it. She's like, eh. 
does she not also outrun a horse in this movie when she's flying the kite and she hides behind the hay bale when the <laughs> prince shows up yes and yeah. gustav is like oh yeah go to go to what's your face's house that's where you'll find your countess and she's like okay i i'm gonna go i'm gonna go change she runs to the house yes before yeah, him faster than a horse changes <laughs> <laughs> she is strong she is horse fast like she is capable with swords she... Yes, we did learn that. So yeah, that's we kind of touched on it before. This that's a really dark thing that happens. This movie deals with slavery. They like touch it's... upon it before when the one housemaid's husband is sold, Maurice, and he's going to the Americas because that's where you ship everyone. Apparently, they're just buying up slaves left and right. Well, well... yeah, <laughs> that is historically accurate. <laughs> but then yeah, Danielle was sold to this gross bald frenchman pierre who had like a boner for her for like the whole time he'd be like yeah you got some squash for me today i got some squash right here and everyone's like pierre this is inappropriate but well yeah he was bragging about uh oh well you you're great but i'm <gasps> but i'm well endowed that's a lie <laughs> and he's like but money like he brought it back to like money or yeah, something like that he tried to take it back but yeah you can't like, you can't unring, know you can't unring that belly of pervert saying pierre yeah we see the cod piece but they, like they really go out of their way to make him this like gross lecherous person mm-hmm. and as soon as she gets taken away it's like you know he's like a character out of game of thrones he is gonna do something awful to her the second he gets her out of like the field of vision of everybody mm-hmm. and he's one of those characters that he doesn't have redeeming qualities like with the baroness and the sisters we could all sort of see something in those layers but with him you're just like you're a scum mm-hmm. you're not well endowed <laughs> and it was right. just clearly yeah. compensating for something with yeah. that mustache he was yeah. very gross and he chains her up and was like soon you're gonna be mine or soon you're gonna give him to me and she's like no sir no <laughs> so i'm going to stab you in a f- in your face with your own swords yeah, so we didn't really touch upon her swordsman skills, I don't think, up until this point. But Because they didn't get brought up at all. Mm. Her capabilities with the sword get brought up so that she can sword that guy in the face. Which, like, the whole... I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I feel like that should have been either introduced earlier or she should have gotten out of that problem using some other skill that we've mm-hmm. seen her use somewhere along the way. It was just kind of like... Like, it wasn't unbelievable because she seems to be a character that is very surprising and will do anything that she puts her mind to. Yeah. But also, I think it is a skill that maybe earlier in the movie, her and, like, Gustav could have been sword fighting. She's like, oh, I'll whip you. And I'm like, you guys are 25 years old. You can't play this weird little game anymore where you tickle each other. In front of your husband. Yes. Yeah. At the end, which is inappropriate. I'm like. Wildly inappropriate. Yeah. Gustav is going to disappear from the court. And <laughs> yeah. nobody, I don't know where yeah. he went. No. It's in the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. But I, I would never want to take away from Danielle the fact that it's so important to this movie that Danielle gets herself out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And then when Henry shows up to rescue her and even says, I'm here to rescue you. Yeah. And she just kind of like struts out of that dank castle. Just like, oh, I'm glad that's over with. Like she's already rescued herself. Yeah. And that's who Danielle is. Yes. She's yeah. not the princess waiting to be rescued by the prince. She's this woman who's found somebody who she's interested in but Mm -hmm. in a life or death situation she's gonna deal with it herself because you can't depend on someone else to get you out of your own i don't think i would trust prince henry to get me out of any dire situation i think he would fumble with anything hardcore (laughs) except tennis apparently he's really good at that he fumbled at tennis oh yeah fell over the wall yeah no we can't give any any 
props to Henry on this. So maybe that's why they're a good match, too. Henry is just a royal fuck-up, literally. And Danielle can take care of all the business. So then what's the appeal of Henry, then? Like, why is she so taken with him? I mean, he's a good-looking dude. He's got good prince hair. Yeah, he has great prince hair. I guess he does. He shows the capacity to change and to see beyond mm-hmm. his station. Like, he's able to be inspired by her. Mm-hmm. But that still seems like quite the one-way street. I also feel like he can't think for himself. He doesn't have that ability. Like, he doesn't know what he wants. That's where he is in, like, this whole state. But as soon as, like, people are feeding ideas into him, he's like, yeah, this is a great idea. Unless it's coming from his parents, in which case yes. he can stomp his feet and throw a temper tantrum. Yes, exactly, it. and cry. Like, who is it? Tommen? Like proper 33-year-old man. Tommen? Tommen. Okay. I mean, Danielle is the best Cinderella that I've ever seen. I think In so. any version of it, whether it be cartoon or updated or Hilary Duff. Mm-hmm. That was a great movie with Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> Converse shoes, princess dress, good times. I think I watched that on a bus on a school trip. I remember vividly, I don't know why, the Hillary Duff Cinderella I saw at the drive-in, and it was like that one, a Cinderella story, whatever it was, and the new Exorcist, which those are two movies you shouldn't put together, but... That's a weird combo. Mustang Drive in London, Ontario. Yeah, but Danielle is this really great character and i mean cinderella is kind of one of the one of the ones that we go to to kind of be mm-hmm. like don't be a princess be active mm. in in your own life don't just wait for a prince to show up and save everything for you like be an agent of goodness and of empowerment and that's what danielle is like we see mm. her get feistier and feistier and i feel like that's maybe a condescending term to use for like people who are finding strength within themselves so i don't want to be like dismissive of it but she she gets to this point where she's just had enough and she you know defends her family's property by throwing apples at this dude and trying to chase <laughs> off thieves and she bites a, disarms a guy and cuts his face open mm-hmm. and demands to be released from capture and gets the guy that she wants and punches her sister in the face in a yes, way that makes yeah. everybody who saw it incredibly thrilled about what happened it's she's this really amazing version of the character that it had mm-hmm. never even occurred to me to have before and it makes me really happy that people and i mean primarily girls i assume just because mm-hmm. of how marketing works but you know the people like yourself grew up with mm-hmm. this version of cinderella as an addendum to the disney version yes yeah and like I it's think a terrific that, update of the character that's why i'm so good with swords now because of right. seeing this film that's why you're so good with swords and with your knowledge of 1700s french <laughs> yes, history exactly yes but i'm so glad it was drew barrymore in this role because in the 90s she was such an it girl like romantic comedies drew barrymore was on the bill but if you see going through like the next decade like the it girls that came into place like you have people like hillary duff who did a cinderella story or miley cyrus and i don't know if they would have been able to pull off a character like that as believably with i don't know that much inner strength but also sort of fighting with her past and also fighting for what she believes in as believably so mm-hmm. i think it was a good time for this movie to come out and for someone to like drew barrymore to step into it yeah i never really gotten the appeal of drew barrymore before I mean, like i've enjoyed her in things mm-hmm. but I, don't, I can't think of a single movie that I've seen where I'm just like, yeah, Drew Barrymore is great in that. But mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore is great. She is. In this. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because the movie doesn't take itself too seriously that she's able to fit within that. Or I don't know if she's just really good at adapting to the exact 
mood of the thing, but she's serious and fun and angry and powerful and silly all together mm-hmm. in in a, like an exact match for mm-hmm. the movie. And I think that's movies where she shines because I think as a person, she obviously, if you've read anything about Drew Barrymore, she had like a lot of struggles in her past and she overcame them and she seems like such a genuine person. So if you watch movies like, even though this is a silly example, like The Wedding Singer, where she's able to have like that silly yet strong side, this is something else that I think that's why Ever After works for her because she's strong, but she's still able to have fun in a lot of parts. Well, the way that we're going to wrap this up, as always, is by assigning this movie a star rating out of five stars as per the Netflix criteria, which is one star means you hated it. Two stars means didn't like it. Three stars means you liked it. Four stars means really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. As well, I want to hear your MVP, the most valuable player from this movie. My MVP is a tie because Drew Barrymore, as we discussed, she was just made for this role. And she just, she made it. She is Danielle. She's Cinderella to me. Um, but also Jacqueline or Jacqueline. Depends if you want to do Jay. the accent. It's optional in this movie. <laughs> um, because that actress, I feel, is in so many TV shows and movies. And she always does a great job, but she's never the leading lady and gets the praise. So Jacqueline, Jay, whatever your name is as an actress, it might be Mary. Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky. I, I think you nailed it. You brought a lot of heart to this role, and I appreciate it. How about uh, star rating? I'm going to give it 3.5 because... Oh, can't do half star. Oh, damn it. Okay, I'm going to round up to a four then because I really enjoyed it, and I'm so glad I watched this movie again. But for it being over two hours, I don't know if I would watch it like in the next year. For me, it's a four-star movie. So nice. I think this has been your mission all along. Yes, to get we're me actually on, on the same page as you. So this was better than Titanic, you're saying? Much better than Titanic. Fuck Titanic forever. <laughs> okay, let's never discuss Titanic King. So it always makes tears well in my well in my eyes when you say things like that. So it's better than Adventures in Babysitting to you? Yes. What'd you give Heather's? Is it better than Heather's? Uh, I'd say better than Heather's, yeah. Okay. It's the best movie that we've watched together. Okay, cool. I would say a little bit better than Mighty Ducks even. Whoa. Wow. A little bit. Okay, little better bit. than Amelia. We're, we're getting there. Next time, Dylan, we're going to do a five star. <laughs> and my MVP is Drew Barrymore. Because yeah, she, this she movie, should be. This movie lives and dies by her, mm-hmm. which is a phrase I've started using a lot, and I feel like that's kind of obnoxious. But I'm going to leave it in. It's like that Paul McCartney song, Live and Let Die, but not really. Yeah. But you can play that as the outro. <laughs> She does a, I mean, we, we talked uh, a bit already about why she's so great in this movie, but it's, I don't know if this movie was designed around her or, yeah, or what know. the story is. I did very little research for this episode because I just like talking to you. So I feel like she was perfect in this. And yeah. I also have to say, I'm so happy that she carried the Cinderella role, not as a blonde. I feel like in the new as a dyed redhead yeah. yes yeah <laughs> she's this frumpy brunette and i think when i was 12 years old that's that was like my natural hair color and i always hated it but then you see someone like this strong character being like yeah she's kicking ass and she doesn't have to put like sunlight or manic panic in her hair which all that changed for me later is i have sunlight and manic panic in my hair but no it's nice to see girls with like more natural hair colors just I'm pretty sure that her hair is dyed red on top of brown in this movie. (laughs) All right. Okay. But you know what? It made me feel great when I was 12 years old. (laughs) No, it's great. I mean, she's got, I don't want to be shitty, so I might just cut this out. But I mean, she's got a soft face. She Mm -hmm. doesn't have like 
she doesn't look like Disney Cinderella. She doesn't look like new Disney Cinderella. She looks like a relatable, powerful person. Yes. Yeah. And that's terrific. And this is horrible to say, but this is when Drew Bear like, because now Drew Barrymore is very much model skinny in Hollywood, which I appreciate. But also back in the 90s, she was more relatable. Like she had a few more curves. Her hair was a little more natural. She wasn't as over dyed and over perfected. And I think Ever After is just a perfect thing to showcase that. And it's one of those movies where girls back in the day saw it and was like, okay, yeah. I don't need to wear crop tops all the time. can run around a peasant gown and still take care of business. <laughs> but yes, Drew Barrymore, I agree. MVP. That's terrific. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on and doing this once again. Any time, Dylan. Like Anytime. I said, next time we're going to get to the five-star rating. Perfect. Is there anything that you're working on that people should know about? No, I am off for the summer. But again, we'll be back in the fall helping out my crew with Winter Spectacular and Gricklegrass. But can catch me on the flip side or on another podcast, Drinking Ciders with Dylan. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore. And you can find me at 379 underscore D. <laughs> Perfect. And we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. You can also find me on Letterboxd as Dylan Clark Moore. That's the only place where you can find a constantly updating list of all the episodes that we're going to be covering, all the movies that we're going to be covering on upcoming episodes. If you'd like to support the show, the best way that you can do so is by telling your friends or your family. I don't know if you have family that likes podcasts, but tell them about the Netflix podcast because it's cool. And if you're in Canada, it's kind of local. And I don't know. I like attention. So give me more of it. <laughs> don't do it. He's already an egomaniac. <laughs> you can also help by subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you, whether it's on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer. While you're on iTunes or whichever podcast platform, make sure you drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at patreon.com. You can also hit the Support Netflix button at the top of our website. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you for checking out this week's episode. I'm going to say that again more sincerely. Thank you for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.